In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics, including sexual assault. It is important to take care of yourself while listening. Help is available through your local rape crisis center, and you can visit mcasa.org for more information on how to be connected. Hello, everybody. I'm Meredith, policy advocate for community engagement at the Maryland Coalition Against Sexual Assault. And this is MCASA On The Go, the official podcast of the Maryland Coalition Against Sexual Assault. MCASA is the federally recognized statewide coalition, providing training, technical assistance, and policy advocacy to rape crisis centers and member organizations across the state. Maryland Coalition Against Sexual Assault also provides direct legal services to survivors through our Sexual Assault Legal Institute. In this podcast series, we will discuss topics including, but not limited to, sexual violence prevention and response, legal issues surrounding sexual violence, and highlighting services available for survivors across the state. In our first episode, I sit down with Beth and Maeve, two of our policy advocates here at MCASA, to talk all things Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Great. Thank you, Beth and Maeve, for joining me today for our inaugural episode. So excited to talk about Sexual Assault Awareness Month. To start, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves? Hey, everyone. I am Beth, uh, the Prevention and Education Policy Advocate here at MCASA. Uh, Very excited to be here and talk to you all on this first podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Maeve. I'm the Safe Start Policy Advocate with MCASA, and I also am super excited to be here. So, Beth. You are MCASA's preventionist. Do you want to start by telling us about what Sexual Assault Awareness Month is and why we recognize it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Those of us in the field of sexual violence prevention and response are very familiar with SAM. It's this month that we recognize every April where we really try to uh, build awareness and community engagement around sexual violence, where we attempt to really bring communities into action around sexual violence prevention and have that focus on stopping violence before it starts. Uh, We've been recognizing this for 20 years now, actually. The first official SAM was 2001, but it does have a longer history than that. Sexual violence awareness efforts were really led in the 1800s and 1900s by Black women who were experiencing the effects of both racist violence and sexual violence, who were um, often the public faces and really made a lot of the efforts around building awareness and uh, preventing violence at the time. Uh, What we might consider the modern movement around sexual violence response and prevention began in the early 1970s. That's when we started seeing the first rape crisis centers pop up around the country. We started seeing these really amazing grassroots efforts where people were organizing. We had some of the first Take Back the Nights. We had marches. Um, We had these people who really had no resources um, pouring their efforts and their dedication and their um, care for their community um, into responding to sexual violence and preventing sexual violence. So as I mentioned, uh, in 2001, the National Sexual Violence Resource Center officially recognized SAM. Um, And it's something that to this day, we still continue with. So Sexual Assault Awareness Month is celebrated in communities across the country, as you've stated. But what is MCASA doing this year to highlight Sexual Assault Awareness Month? Sure. So in the past, um, MCAS has always been really active during SAM. 
since we do work so closely with so many of our partners, with the rape crisis and recovery centers across the state, with campuses, with other community partners, um, we've often really made a lot of effort to support them. We've gone to their events, we've gone, uh, we've supported their campaigns, their social media. Uh, this year, things are a little different. We're not traveling around the state attending these large in-person events for obvious reasons. Um, if you're listening to this five years in the future and it's not obvious for some reason, it's because COVID. Uh, we're not doing that. Uh, so this year, we are doing this a little bit different. We are launching a new campaign uh, that we introduced this April. Um, and this isn't just for Sam, it's something we're gonna be continuing with, but it's called Moments Create Movements. And the idea of this is really thinking about how our small moments, those little choices, those single behaviors can really have this big impact and contribute to prevention, contribute to this overall prevention movement. Uh, one thing that's really cool about this campaign is that SAM is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. It's often had this really strong focus on building awareness. But when we really think about sexual assault prevention, we need more than that awareness. We need people to take that foundation, which is so important, but then translate it into taking action, to doing something, to engaging others and doing their own actions. So this is really that focus. Like, what are you doing with your moment that can contribute um, to ending sexual violence. So what we did for this is we sent out a survey in um, March and throughout April. Uh, we sent this to uh, pretty much all our contacts. We shared it in social media. We had people share it with their networks, with student groups, with uh, different community groups to try to really get as much feedback from Marylanders uh, about what they're already doing. And we got some really cool responses. Yeah, I love that shift from awareness to action and activism. But we can definitely still do it virtually. And this campaign is proving that. Um, and I know we've received some really awesome responses to the Moments Create Movements campaign. So let's share a few and see what folks are doing to prevent sexual violence in their own communities. Absolutely. So I'm, I'll kind of split these up into three categories because that's how we've been sharing them on social media. First, we have those individual actions. And we got some really interesting answers. One person says, I challenge rape culture at all levels, challenging homophobia, transphobia, rethinking and examining victim blaming ideas and calling out misogynistic jokes, uh, really looking at those cultural impacts. Uh, another response here said, I help prevent sexual violence by intervening when I see inappropriate behavior, really thinking about that bystander intervention. Uh, I like this one. I'm pretty adamant about posting on social media or sharing posts on my social media page about sexual assault awareness and how we can come together to work on this issue. Uh, some other folks sort of thought about their individual skills. Someone said, I help prevent sexual violence by becoming more comfortable asking for explicit consent. Somebody talks to their family about sexual violence because they carry on these outdated and harmful attitudes of victim shaming. Um, that kind of difficult conversation with family. Not easy conversations to start, but a really important, very basic foundational step. Absolutely. Uh, and that response and some of these others, we kind of put into the category of building momentum. You're taking your own individual moment, you're taking your own individual action, but you're also getting others involved because this is this community effort. We need everyone to be doing something. Uh, so someone said, I get others involved in preventing sexual violence by talking with my child about comments from her friends, her coworkers on TV, or in music that perpetuate power and control dynamics. Um, having a conversation with 
your family, having a conversation with your child can be so critical. Uh, another person, this one, this isn't necessarily a small thing to do. They did a pretty big thing, which is cool. They said, I started the reveal your teal hashtag on social media in 2016. Creatives from my community and beyond use resources I've collected and use the color teal in art projects. Oh, wow. Yeah. We hashtag things on social media every day. So to put that much thought into um, such a meaningful hashtag really, like you said, starts that momentum um, to spark change and, you know, have others share their their feelings and their thoughts um, on an issue. Yeah, for sure. And then it also gives the people opportunities for these creative folks in the community who are already making art or music or whatever it is they're doing to to use what they're already doing and add that element of um, letting people know that this is something important to them. So I love that. And I will like what you're saying about just sharing things with hashtags, posting on social media feels so small. And, you know, we kind of like talk about like, oh, slacktivism, and that's not really um, taking it to the next level. But if you're sharing to those in your network, to your family and friends and saying, this is something I care about, that's important. Sharing your values is how we build these community norms. So it is critical, even though it feels maybe like not that big of a deal. Uh, what are some other ones we got here? Um, and one person said, I empower my children to voice their boundaries and teach them to respect the boundaries of others, which I love. That foundational education from childhood, really important. The other responses we got, so we asked people on the survey, what's one way that you prevent sexual violence? And the other question we ask is, what is something your community could do to better prevent sexual violence or to create safety around sexual violence? Because that's another thing I really wanted to think about with this campaign is we do often, when we talk about prevention, we really focus on what individuals can do. But at the end of the day, this is a community problem. So one person uh, is important, especially when that one person engages other people, engages other people, right? That's how we build this movement, as the campaign says. Um, but there's also things like policies, the physical structures we're in, um, what is funded, what is not funded, the services we have in a community. And all of that also plays an incredibly important role in prevention. So we wanted to get at that idea a little bit too. Um, and as somebody said, uh, sexual violence impacts the whole community and ensuring that the survivor receives adequate access to services, healthcare, legal, et cetera, is critical to ensuring not just the survivor's well-being, but that of the community, which I think is really well said. Yeah, absolutely. When we think of sexual violence as an issue that affects all of us, um, you know, even if we're not survivors ourselves, chances are we know someone, whether they explicitly say it or not, that is a survivor in our community. So ensuring that um, survivors can have that comprehensive care and support from the community is such a critical thing. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that gets a little confusing sometimes in our prevention efforts is that supporting survivors is really response, right? Like we don't necessarily think of it as prevention in the same way because we're not stopping the violence before it starts. Uh, we are preventing ongoing harm and supporting the survivor, which is um, obviously uh, incredibly important and valuable. But it also has that direct contribution to primary prevention because what it communicates 
to the whole community, sort of as this person was saying, is that we take sexual violence seriously here, that we care about survivors, that we support survivors, that this is not an issue that we tolerate in any way, shape or form. So it's another thing that contributes to those community norms that help prevent sexual violence. Right. It kind of cultivates that idea that it won't be tolerated in our community. And when we show that through the response, like you said, um, it just creates an overall better culture um, within that community when it comes to issues of sexual violence. Makes it a little bit easier to maybe have those conversations in our community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Another person sort of pointed out the role of policy around sexual violence. Um, They said, call your reps and stress to them how important the Violence Against Women Act is to you and your community. So many critical services are funded via VAWA, which this is a really interesting one. Uh, Maryland just wrapped up their legislative session where, of course, MCASA is always advocating for bills to support survivors to prevent and end sexual violence. Um, But there's this federal stuff is still going on, VAWA. Uh, went through the House, not the Senate yet. Um, but it, it's interesting that there is a study, um, I think maybe it was pu- it was put out in 2015, but it looked at a bunch of different prevention interventions to see which ones showed a reduction in perpetration. And most of them did not show that. Uh, this was 2015, so a lot has been done since then, right? But one of the few things that actually showed a marked decrease in sexual violence perpetration was VAWA. Um, So we're talking about the power of policies to change uh, rates of violence. Uh, That's pretty clear evidence. So I think that was a really good point they made. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really crucial that, you know, we advocate for the funding because, you know, we need to we need to do this work. And the only way we can do that is is through our funding. So it seems like, uh, you know, a minuscule thing to do to email or tweet a senator or representative. um, But getting your voice out there really shows that we we do. want to advocate for this funding. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We got some other really cool answers about community. Um, One person was talking about getting more men's engagement on this training um, by having some type of services in the community that promotes the importance of bystander intervention. they, so they sort of mentioned having more services about training, specifically engaging men as allies, uh, we, we posted a little bit on social media about this recently, but men are, of course, very important partners in this. Sexual violence is a men's issue. Um, even beyond, we often give them that role of potential perpetrators, since we, we know some of the statistics around sexual violence. Uh, but they are also victims of sexual violence. They are absolutely allies, partners, active bystanders. So having them engaged in these conversations and this action is um, something that we often focus on. Another one, they said provide leadership opportunities for women and girls. Absolutely, that is something that uh, we've seen causes a reduction um, in sexual violence. Um, This one is really cool. Local businesses could use social media to share their policies and practices surrounding violence prevention. I really liked engaging that business community. Um, providing more housing, shelters, um, and programs for men at all hours of the day. Again, a focus on just having more services, having more support in the community, because other issues like economic security, like housing, like all these systems and policies that put people in a more difficult or challenging situation, those are all risk factors for violence. Um, So looking at that, um, that full picture of prevention. Even adding to making sure we have those services is making sure that 
folks know where to find those services and making sure that they know that the services are available in their community. Um, Because we see a lot of times that, you know, survivors don't always know what's available to them. And so when mm-hmm. we advertise all of these great services in the community, then that, you know, further creates that culture of supporting survivors. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, two others I'll share because I think these are good, too. They were all good. All the answers we got were good. That's why I'm reading, like, all of them. <laughs> uh, one person said my community could fund sexual violence prevention training for bars. I love that. We know that alcohol is often is often a presence in a lot of sexual assaults. Um, that drug facilitated sexual assault is often alcohol. Um, so I think that's really cool. And I think I've done, I've been involved in some training for bars and bartenders. And in my anecdotal experience, a lot of them are super motivated and engaged and wanting to be able to feel like they can support and help the people and make sure that everyone at their bar is safe. Um, And one person said, establish standardized, comprehensive, and inclusive sex education curriculum across the state that is implemented by trained sexual health educators, excuse me, sexual health educators. This is a clear and empirically proven way of reducing sexual violence in our communities. That is very true. Um, We do have Erin's Law in Maryland, and we do have a a curriculum around sexual assault prevention. And I think right now they are taking efforts to... um, make sure that the educators are well-trained to make it inclusive. Um, But I think we can always strengthen and build upon that because that is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Could you talk a little bit more about Aaron's Law and kind of um, how that came to be and um, how we're we're seeing that kind of being implemented now? Yeah, Aaron's Law, uh, this was passed in Maryland in 2016. MCASA was a big advocate for for its passage. And what it does is it requires um, an age-appropriate curriculum on sexual abuse and assault prevention for grades K to 12. Um, So having these lessons about um, sort of recognizing appropriate behaviors from adults, like learning to recognize things that... um, are okay and aren't okay, um, learning about boundaries, um, and really learning about how to seek support or talk to an adult so they can get help if needed. Um, uh, because child sexual abuse is, um, preventing it is the responsibility of adults. That is something I will uh, probably repeat more than once while talking about this. Um, but bringing that responsibility back to adults just really Um, helping children learn the language and what to look out for so they know that they can talk to someone and when to talk to somebody. Um, And when they get older, there is also some more content around healthy relationships, learning about consent, um, learning about um, sexual assault um, more specifically. Um, So that is required across Maryland. Different schools have some leeway in how they implement it just because Maryland is it's very different from region to region. So it's good to have that flexibility. Um, so that's a really important part. And that's sort of the the policy implemented thing. Um, and many schools also do things like they do training for their staff, faculty, admin around recognizing warning signs of child sexual abuse, um, which is incredibly important for them to have those prevention skills, um, engaging the community in some of these discussions. So it's something that's continuing to evolve. And we're seeing how to uh, strengthen um, 
and uh, make sure these programs are as strong as possible throughout schools, because we know it is such an important intervention um, for sexual assault prevention. I really wanted to highlight that um, because it's, you know, seeing it in action is the best way to kind of think of policies affecting prevention. Um, A lot of the Mm -hmm. policies surrounding sexual violence often have to do with response um, and funding and such. But uh, Aaron's Law, Mm -hmm. I think, is such a great way to show how policy can really um, improve our prevention programs, starting even in, um, you know, with young children in school. Yeah, and I think a part of it that is really important is we do have the education for children themselves, but I think we also have this education where we're training staff, faculty, admin, um, adults who interact with children on how to look for those warning signs, um, warning signs of the adults around them, as well as warning signs from a child that they might be experiencing harm, that they might be experiencing something so they can intervene, so they can do something or say something. Because again, I always do wanna bring it back to that. Adults have the responsibility for preventing child sexual abuse. So the more training we can give them, the better. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That's an example of how policy can be used directly for prevention efforts. Policy really does um, kind of create a springboard for um, prevention efforts within our communities, with each other, um, and even virtually. Um, I know that a lot of MCAS's operations and events have become virtual the past year because of COVID. Um, And so most of our prevention will be virtual as well. Um, How does prevention look different during COVID-19? Yeah, there are some things that are very different there are some things that remain the same. Um, So when we think about a lot of these individual level interventions, those feel very different. So a lot of our training in the past has been about things about like bystander intervention, stepping in and intervening when you observe something happening. Uh, We are in a situation where we're not observing things happening in the same way. We're not at parties where we might notice um, somebody you know, giving drinks to somebody who seems super intoxicated. We're not going to see that to be able to do something. We're not necessarily at bars. Um, We're not necessarily meeting with our groups of friends or families to notice warning signs. So that does look very different. Um, And from what I've sort of heard and seen, some folks are really still using those same skills of observing warning signs, of um, intervening in ways that feel realistic to them over virtual platforms. Like maybe they're just having a phone call or a Zoom meeting or they're observing things on social media, but they're still using those same skills just in a very different platform. Um, The same thing as some of these more proactive actions, like having conversations around sexual violence, talking about these issues. Uh, It can be a little more awkward. Like it's always an awkward conversation in real life. Um, unless you're like us who work for the Maryland Coalition Against Sexual Assault, and this is something we probably talk about more than the average person. Um, but bringing it up on a Zoom call, like that's even, that's harder. Um, but people are still doing it. We're using these skills and we're adapting. Um, on the other hand, some of these other larger issues around sexual violence, these community level factors, um, we can still do a lot of work on right now. Um, Because when we think about things that increase the risk of sexual violence, they can be things like economic security, housing insecurity, um, 
COVID-19 has had an impact on that. A lot of people have lost jobs. There's a lot of economic stress. Um, when we think about, uh, this is going down a whole nother, uh, a whole nother path, but we think about um, social determinants of health, which basically means the systems that you're born into, these different oppressive systems can make you more likely to experience negative health impacts. So racist systems, oppressive systems, transphobic systems, that can make you more likely to experience sexual violence. And we're seeing so much of that right now. We're seeing racist violence. We're seeing um, all these different systems that can contribute to sexual violence. So all of that is still the same. These policies, these systems, that hasn't changed. Um, so in a way, yes, the individual day-to-day -day actions are really different and we need to apply our skills to different settings, but those root causes haven't really changed. Um, so some, some things we've adapted and some things we've continued fighting for. Yeah, and we'll continue to fight throughout the year. Um, of course, we know mm -hmm. sexual violence occurs in the other 11 months of the year. Um, so how can we prevent sexual violence after Sexual Assault Awareness Month is over? Yes, absolutely. Um, my basic answer is keep doing all the things that you did in SAM. Uh, keep all those actions going. The people who said they're stepping in, having conversations, keep that going. Uh, SAM is wonderful. I think it's a really important uh, month to a lot of us in the movement, to survivors, um, because it does give us this moment to really focus in, to have these events and these different um, things like Take Back the Night, which are so affirming and um, connected. But at the same time, prevention doesn't happen at events. Prevention happens in day-to-day -day life. So think about those small ways that you're contributing and be intentional about it. Think about what you're already doing and ways you can incorporate sharing your values around sexual violence, ways you can practice your skills around intervening when you see something concerning, because it can be hard. The more you practice, the easier it gets, but it's not, it's not an easy thing. Um, keep your social media a place where you're sharing some of this information. Um, and also think about the community. Uh, think about supporting the different places like rape crisis centers in your community that are doing this work. Follow them on social media. Um, call your legislators when there's policy that pertains to sexual violence. Um, there's a million things you can do. And what I am saying um, is not necessarily you have to do all of that stuff because we are people. There's a lot of other issues. You probably have a lot of other stuff on your plate. But Choose things that feel realistic and do something and keep it going because that's what it's really going to take is all of us engaged in these little moments, right? And that's how we're building that movement um, through our individual actions um, and by being part of this thing where we're having larger community change. Thanks for listening to MCASA On The Go. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all of the latest from MCASA, you can visit our website, mcasa.org, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at mcasa.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.